She was in desperate need. Uh, in the same way, perhaps, as, as the rich man before, she's in desperate need. She's hemorrhaging. That's been the case for 12 years. She spent all the money she has, and she's just not getting better. She's in desperate need. Now, her desperate need prompted her to have desperate faith. She heard about Jesus. Perhaps she'd heard of one of his other miracles, a friend of hers or a cousin or a neighbour or someone down the street. She just heard of Jesus. That this, this man who could work miracles had, was around and she just thought, if I can just touch his cloak. Such was her faith in him. She thought that is all she would have to do to be healed. In verse 20, 28, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. So she's in desperate need. She has a desperate faith. And then what happens to her? Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And then there's a little conversation about Jesus turning around, not knowing who touched him. I suspect Jesus did know who touched him and he was wanting to highlight this woman and her faith. So there's this conversation about that. There's lots of people around. And then finally the woman comes to Jesus and she, what does she do? She falls on her feet before him. What did Jairus do earlier? He fell on his feet before Jesus. Now this woman, after she was healed, falls on her feet before Jesus. That idea of, of submission and recognition of who, of who he was. And she's trembling with fear. Perhaps she thought she was going to be in trouble. And she tells Jesus the truth that he obviously already knew. And then he says to her, when I think this is definite praise, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So we have a woman who is now healed, a woman that no one else could heal. She was in desperate need. And what did she do? What did she bring to Jesus? What did she have? She had one thing. What was that? Her faith. That's the one thing she had. The one thing she brought to Jesus. Now, faith sometimes is, is quite a, a misleading um, kind of concept because sometimes we can think that our faith is something that we have ourselves, like that our faith is like a commodity. You know, it's, it's a commodity we bring to Jesus. You know, if I've got enough money to go to the doctor and get healed, if I've got enough faith, I go to Jesus to get healed. It's like a commodity that we own. But, but that's not the view of the Bible. In the Bible, faith is very much viewed as a gift in itself. So the faith that the woman brought to Jesus was already a gift from him. Now, sermons are a little bit like marriage. There is no new material, Okay. It's the same stories, isn't it, darling? Same jokes that are apparently not any funny anymore, even if they once were. It's just the same thing recycled round and round again. So you may have seen this picture. So if you have, I apologise, but it's a good one. Kids, have a look at this. Here is my father-in-law, John. He's on the left. He's a mechanic. He could build a car, like if all the parts were just lined up there on the floor... And he had an instruction manual. He reads instruction manuals. Does anyone else read instruction manuals? I've only ever met two people in my life that read instruction manuals. And that's my father-in-law and his grandson. Okay, that's the only people I've ever read that read. So if he had all the parts lined up here, he could build a car. Literally, he could build a car. Okay? That's about my expertise with cars. I'm hopeless. Hopeless. 
Now, if you were broken down on the side of the road, broken down on the side of the road, and I came along, and my father-in-law John came along, and you had a choice to ask one of us, one of us to help you, who would you ask? I would hope so. I would hope you would ask John. If you wanted to get going, that would be the wise option to do. Now, if you had a little bit of faith in John to fix your car, would that be well-placed faith? What about if you had a lot of faith in me to fix your car? That would be a terrible point to be. See, faith is not about how much you have. Faith is about where we put it. Now, this woman and Jairus, we haven't got to the end of Jairus' story yet, but they put their faith in Jesus. Where we put our faith is so much more important than how much faith we have. I don't know if anyone has ever had this say to them by a a non-Christian friend or or something like that. Oh, you're a person of faith. You're a person of faith. Trying to to explain why you bother to go to church or believe this Jesus stuff. You're a person of faith. You know what I say back to that, like in in a very respectful way? So are you. Everyone has faith. Everyone has faith. It's just where they put their faith that that is the real issue. Some people put their faith in Jesus being God and that his literal death and literal resurrection paid the price for sin and now allows us to have eternal life. Some people believe that in faith. Some people believe that the entire cosmos came from literally a godless implosion of some unknown eternal matter and that's how everything came to be. If you believe that, you're a person of faith. If you believe in Jesus, you're a person of faith. If you believe that a giant elephant went to the toilet and that made the earth, you're a person of faith. Like there are whole sorts of weird and wacky ideas out there. One time I worked at a school and I had this parent-teacher interview and I was a, I was a, a chaplain at the school and this bloke comes in, nice, nice bloke, his, his kid was a little eccentric. Um, anyway, he said to me, he said, you don't believe in all of this God business, do you? Like I was a chaplain at the school. And I said, well, yeah, I, I actually do, actually. He said, you don't believe in all this stuff about a creator God, that like God could make everything. And I said, yeah, funnily enough, I do. And I said to him, I said, what, what do you believe? Tell me what you believe. And so he proceeded to tell me at, at great length about how he believes that life on earth actually is from the aliens. These aliens brought it here one day and that's where we all came. He was deadly serious, deadly serious. Now, he was a man of faith, but it's what he had his faith in. Now, he didn't actually answer the question, which is quite interesting. Quite often people, when they have a different view about um, the origin of everything, they often just transfer the question to another point in time. And that's all he did. He didn't actually answer the question. But there's all sorts of beliefs that people have. We are all people of faith. The great question is, where is your faith? We can have a lot of faith in ourselves or in somebody else, on somebody else's assumptions about this and that, or whatever belief system, whether it's religious or non-religious, and the lines are pretty much blurred for that these days, or we can have a little bit of faith in Jesus. Now, obviously, we want to have a lot of faith in Jesus, but my point is this, it's not how much faith you have, it is where your faith that counts. And this woman, she put her faith in Jesus. Jairus, He put his faith in Jesus as well. Now we're going to pause now and we're going to sing 
about that Jesus that we should put our faith in. There is a Redeemer. Now, with Mark, Mark chapter 5, from verse, where are we? From verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone know, follow him except Peter, James, Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion. The people were crying and wailing. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. All after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and they went where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to tell, let anyone know about this and he told them to give her something to eat. So the third part of the sandwich, the resolution for Jairus. But it starts with desperate disappointment. The news that his daughter was dead. That it was a waste of time collecting Jesus because she'd already passed away. But what does Jesus say to that? He gives a definite request to the man. Jesus ignored it and he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. So the faith that you put in me earlier when you came to me for help, keep that same faith now. And then he goes there. He goes and he only lets a few of the disciples come and there, there's the, the morning had begun, as in not the daytime, as in the, the morning after death had begun. And Jesus said, the child is not asleep. So the child is not dead, but asleep. Interestingly, that same phrase is in the Corinthians passage when it talks about, from a Christian point of view, death can be called sleep because of the resurrection. So I believe that her heart had stopped. She wasn't just having a snooze, but Jesus could use that, word, that terminology because, he was about, because of what he was about to do. Then he goes up school, upstairs and he takes the little girl. We have a definite miracle. Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. A maid I used to work with, he's got a little girl called Talitha. It's named after this part of the Bible. And what happens? What happened to the woman earlier in verse 29? Immediately, her bleeding stopped. Here in verse 42, immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. And she was 12 years old. A definite miracle. So we have the disappointment, the request to still keep your faith and then the definite miracle. What's the summary? What would you say the summary is of this part of the Bible? I think the summary is put your faith in me. That's what Jesus, not me, in Jesus, when he says to Jairus, put your faith in me, when he says um, to the woman, put your faith in me, your faith has healed you. Put your faith in me, bring your faith to me. 
But you know, I often think about this, the miracles in the Bible, and this are last in the series on the resurrection events of Jesus. Um, what happened to Lazarus? What happened to Lazarus 10 years later or 20 years later? He died. What happened to this woman that Jesus healed 10 years later or 20 years later? She died. What happened to the little girl 20 years later or 30 years later or 40 years later? She died. They were miracles, but they weren't forever miracles. What happened when Jesus died and rose again? 40 days later, he went to heaven. Did he die again? No, because he actually defeated death. So the miracles that we've been looking at were short-term miracles, but the miracle of Jesus is a forever miracle. And the saving power, we should marvel at the saving power of Jesus for these short-term miracles that that he did, but we should be more amazed and marvel more at the ultimate the ultimate miracle of his resurrection, of the actual defeat of death. Not just the prolonging of it for a bit longer, but the actual defeat of death. Now, when I grew up, I grew up in a little town. A little town. The, the photo's not real good, I'm sorry for that, but you'll, you'll just have to imagine it for a minute. Right down this bottom corner of the photo is a huge, big silo warehouse. Okay? A huge silo warehouse. And the trucks are lined up there. So back in the days before deregulation of the wheat industry and you could, you know, you could only sell your wheat to one place and you had to go to the silo. I remember as a boy, harvest for me was a little bit like shearing. The only good thing about it was when it was finished, okay? And these trucks, I can remember, this was the only good bit. This was a good bit about harvest. Those trucks would line up there and you see the, the road coming back this way. Sometimes the trucks had come all the way back there and then they'd loop around those trees and then they'd go around again and sometimes you'd go to unload your wheat and it would take half a day in the queue. It was quite a social kind of event, you know, you'd just go and talk to people and occasionally you'd move your truck up a little bit further and your truck up a little bit further. Now, my auntie used to work at the silo. Now, when the first truck arrived for the year... What did she know was about to happen? More trucks. When the first truck came, she knew that there was about to be countless more trucks and almost grain seeds that you couldn't count, immeasurable, unnumberable. There were so many. The first truck told them about what was going to happen. And that's how the Bible describes the resurrection of Jesus, like the first fruit or the first truck. When his once and for all actually deal with death event happened, not just prolonged life, but dealt with death, death defeated, it was a promise of what was about to come. The great harvest of, was about to come, where people would, where death would be defeated forever. So we should read our Bibles and be amazed at the resurrection stories and of, of people coming back to life. But we should most of all read our Bibles and be amazed and praise the God who defeated death forever. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you smashed death to bits. We thank you that you paid the price for our sin and dealt with the consequences of our sin, which is death. And we thank you for the 
for the great hope and promise of eternal life. And I pray that you'd help us all to put our faith in you. Amen.